Hey friends, Jason Miller here, and this is the South Bend City Church Podcast. As always, if you'd like to stay up on other things happening with our church, just go to southbendcitychurch.com, and you can sign up for the email newsletter or use the website to see what's happening. If you'd like to make an offering, go to southbendcitychurch.com give. And if the podcast is your primary source of connection for our church, select podcast when you make a gift, and that'll just give us some context for your generosity. Uh, as always, whether you're a part of our local community and using the podcast to catch a week that you missed, or you're a part of our long distance family, we love you and we hope this serves you well. We're doing Psalms and practices. And last week was a practice gathering. We're back to a teaching week. And I wanna take you into Psalm 1, which is the very first prayer in the book of Psalms. And it bears mentioning that the book of Psalms was compiled, it was thoughtfully edited, that these individual prayers and meditations and reflections were brought together in a certain order. And at some point, a person or the whole community decided, this is the, the way that we should enter into this collection of prayers. So I wanna get into Psalm 1. Before I do that, let me tell you about this. This is China's Long March 5B rocket, and it launched recently. And the reason we're talking about it is because something went wrong. So the, the rocket, like a lot of rockets, like is supposed to have stages that break away. You know, the big, the big rocket parts that get it from the surface of the Earth up into the stratosphere. Uh, those rockets are meant to fall away and land predictably somewhere in the ocean. And they're supposed to do that, these booster stages before the rocket gets up into orbit, because at that point we lose some control over when and how these things come down. But uh, if you've been watching the news, you might know that in this case, as China was launching the core module of its space station with the Long March 5B rocket, one of those first stages didn't break away when it was supposed to, and it went with the rocket up into early orbit where it finally broke away, which meant there was a 23-ton piece of space debris sort of bouncing along the edge of our atmosphere, orbiting around planet Earth, and scientists were aware that sometime soon, somewhere on planet Earth, this thing is gonna come down and land on planet Earth. And I don't know about you, but after the year that we've had, I thought to myself, the last thing we need is a 23-ton piece of space debris gonna land somewhere on planet Earth sometime, nobody knows when or where. And by the way, the only reason people weren't freaking out more than they were, apparently, is the scientists look at the odds and they say, well, the vast majority of the Earth is either ocean or uninhabited land. So the odds are pretty good that it's not gonna hurt anyone. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not super comfortable with that. But that doesn't matter because it did come down and it landed in the Indian Ocean and apparently nobody was hurt. Now, what they say happened was that this rocket up there in sort of the early stage of orbit was bouncing along the edge of the atmosphere and experienced something they call atmospheric drag. You, you can almost picture a, a stone skipping across the surface of the water and every time it hits the surface of the water, there's a bit of drag, it loses a little bit of momentum Apparently the rocket was experiencing something a little bit like that when eventually gravity brought it back down to Earth. Now the reason I share all that with you is because I think it's actually a helpful image for one of the ideas in the Psalm that we're gonna look at. So let me read Psalm 1 and then uh, after I read it in its entirety, I'm, I'm just gonna work through the text with you a little bit and we're gonna use this prayer at the beginning of Psalms to set up the practice that we're gonna enter into next week. Here's Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. 
They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's Psalm 1. Now, at the beginning of the psalm, there's this image of the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And the reason I tell you about the rocket and the gravitational pull is because this text begins with a picture of a, of a person who finds himself headed in a certain direction, perhaps with a vision for their life, with a certain trajectory, and then dragged into the orbit of the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. And they go from walking to standing to sitting and if you visualize that movement, you can, you can kind of feel the gravity pulling this life into its orbit when that life was headed on a certain trajectory. Let me give you one more sort of like a science angle on this before we bring it uh, down to earth. Forgive the pun. Uh, this is uh, how scientists these days represent gravity. Uh, maybe you've seen something like this before, maybe you haven't. But in this image, you've got planet Earth and you've got the moon nearby. And the point that's being made with that sort of grid that these planets are sitting on is that the, we experience gravity as, as sort of like, you know, large objects drawing things toward them. It's a little more com complicated than that. That the, that the world that we live in, the material world that we're living in is something like the surface of a trampoline. Hang with me for a moment. And the, the mass of an object is, is something like a, a bowling ball sagging down in the surface of that trampoline. And of course, if you have a dense, heavy object that sags into the surface of that trampoline, it pulls other things into its orbit. So apparently like the poor moon, long, 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 long time ago, was just kind of like headed off in its own trajectory with its own like vision for its life. And apparently it passes by planet Earth at just the right time with just the right proximity and it gets drawn into this orbit. And poor little moon's just been stuck here ever since. <laughs> just just kind of rotating, living Groundhog Day, wrapping around planet Earth. And I think this is actually a little bit like how the text understands the gravity of the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. That, that you or I, we could be headed in a certain direction, direction with a certain trajectory for our lives and then get pulled in. And we go from moving in that direction to stopping to settling there. Uh, forget about science for a minute. What about high school? I know for me in high school, I felt that I was trying out a bunch of different identities. Uh, maybe you can relate. You know, in big school that I went to, we had the nerds, and then we had the cool nerds, and we had the jocks, and then we had the band kids, and the choir kids, and the orchestra kids, and all these groups with their different ways of being and relating and their different social realities. And I could feel myself palpably moving through high school, trying on some of these different identities. But what I didn't realize in, until a few surprising moments when I made decisions that I never thought that I would make, and I did some things that I never thought I would do, uh, that in those moments I realized I wasn't just trying on identities, I was flirting with trajectories. And that, that I perhaps had been headed in a certain direction, becoming a certain kind of person, and then found myself pulled into the gravity of some of these groups and some of these people. And you go from moving in a certain direction to stopping, and settling if you're not careful. And that's what the text describes. Um, which, by the way, the reason that I mentioned the rocket, besides it being an overall interesting metaphor, is that that rocket isn't just a problem for the rocket, it's a problem for all of us down here on planet Earth who are wondering what kind of damage is gonna get caused, right? When this thing crashes down somewhere. And the thing about our lives and the trajectories that we are on and the places where we stand and get stuck is that there's consequences not just for us, but for other people. Now, the text has these, these categories, these ways of describing 
where we might get stuck. The text talks about the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. And I don't know about you, but like I don't often find myself using words like wicked or sinners or mockers to describe the places where I get stuck or the, the people who might lead me astray. Wicked, it's kind of a fairy tale word. We might use it for a fictional villain more than an everyday experience. Uh, sinners can be a difficult word, especially if you have a lot of religious baggage. And mockers, I don't know about you, but I actually really like a good roast, like, like a good Comedy Central roast. Like I'm, I'm actually a big fan of that. And when my friends mock me, lovingly, hopefully, I get a kick out of it. So how about some other words for the wicked and the sinners and the mockers? What about these? What about the corrupt and the cynics? The corrupt and the cynics. Corrupt is a way of remembering that our character is not a given. That who we are and our integrity, that these things are not a given, but in fact they have to be protected because they can be corrupted. And we can begin to cut corners and second guess our values and find ourselves corrupted little by little. And corruption is usually incremental. It, it creeps in, but a corrupted thing can be um, really, really like dysfunctional by the time that corruption has really taken over it. And then we have the cynics. And I think cynic is another good word for the mockers because in, in the text, the mockers, that's often describing the people who have decided that there's no such thing as virtue or goodness. So why try to be virtuous or good? And when you see somebody who is or who is doing something virtuous or good, you don't find yourself inspired by it or convicted by it. You find yourself standing at a distance from it, mocking it, saying there's no way that that act is as good as it seems or that person is as virtuous as they seem. And th this is a way of kind of tearing down the entire project of becoming good, of growing, of healing, of living worthwhile lives when you just decide that there's no such thing as a worthwhile life. So let's just mock the people who are attempting to live that kind of life. Well, I don't know about you, but I can think of times when I've been caught in the orbit of corruption and cynicism. And I can think about times when I've been pretty much the center of those things and other people passing by my life might get wrapped up in the same sort of thing. Uh, that's one of the hard things about texts like this is I can read it at first and think about, oh man, them, right? The corrupt and the cynics, the wicked, the sinners and the mockers. But if I sit with it for a moment and I get honest, the problem is the reflection goes from them to me. And maybe you feel that way too. Now, uh, the text has a debate within it. It's interesting. Early on when it talks about how you could be uh, walking and standing and sitting, that you get sucked into the orbit, when you get dragged into the gravity of the wicked and the sinners and the mockers, it suggests that there is such a substance and a significance and a weight to the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. There's such a, a power to corruption and cynicism that it could suck you into it. That, that speaks of the gravity and the density and the significance of those things. But then the text has a, a very different view. It's almost antithetical to that view where it says a little bit later here that the, the wicked are like chaff, that the wind blows away. That the wicked are like chaff, that the wicked are so insignificant that they will be found to be nothing in the end, which is about as far as you can get from something so substantial and dense and significant that it pulls everything in toward it. And this is how life goes, right? There are moments when the wicked seems substantial, when corruption seems powerful, and then often later it gets revealed to have been nothing all along. Uh, like one of the examples of this that comes to mind, uh, I learned about through a couple of documentaries that I watched that I found fascinating and probably enjoyed a little bit too much. 
And if you haven't seen them, you should definitely watch them sometime. But these are two different documentaries on a thing that happened called Fire Festival. Now, if you haven't heard about Fire Festival, the brief overview is that a guy named Billy McFarlane, who buddies up with Ja Rule, in fact, uh, is apparently basically a con artist. But he has this vision that he's gonna launch the world's most luxurious boutique music festival on an island in the Bahamas. Now, this guy hasn't ever ran a music festival. He's never put on live events like this kind of thing before. You might think it takes a lot of experience, a lot of expertise, a lot of timeline, a lot of planning, a lot of partners at the table to put on a luxury boutique music festival with A-list headliners and thousands of people arriving on this island that doesn't have any infrastructure to support that kind of thing. But Billy didn't have any of that. He didn't have the expertise or the experience. What he had was a particular genius about how to build hype. And so Billy gets these supermodels that they pay to come to the island in the Bahamas before, like months before they're gonna have this big music festival. And these supermodels, they just, they basically, it's just lifestyle porn. They get all these pictures and video of them living this glamorous lifestyle on this island in the Bahamas for a couple of days. And they convince these models to use their influencer accounts on Instagram to tease out Fire Festival. And all of a sudden, this thing that nobody has ever heard of, that doesn't have any planning behind it or any substance to it, is perceived to be the hottest, newest thing that you want to get in on. It has a gravity to it. And it draws millions of dollars of people buying tickets and agreements made with artists. They promote this thing saying that you're gonna have uh, luxury meals, you're gonna eat the best of authentic food from the Bahamas. We're talking lobster, we're talking pig roast. You're gonna live in boutique villa settings. But again, because it was all a charade, because there was no substance behind it, these people who paid thousands of dollars to come to this festival show up on the island, and instead of living in luxury boutique villas, they're living in FEMA emergency management tents. And instead of eating lobster or pig roast, they open up styrofoam containers to find cold sandwiches that are nothing but white bread and American cheese singles. And of course, uh, the documentary ends with some form of justice with lawsuits and criminal charges. And I watched that documentary thinking this is how it often goes. Like, Billy McFarlane created the appearance of substance, of significance, as if to say that if you miss out on Fire Festival, you won't be as important as the people who make it here. And a whole bunch of people who had never even heard of Fire Festival have their attention turned, they stop what they were doing, and they settle into a commitment. They spend their money and they show up to find out that it was nothing, that it was just a charade or an illusion. Uh, it's as if to say that um, to invest in the wicked, in the sinners, and the mockers, in the way of corruption and cynicism is to invest your life in something that will go up in smoke. But the good news is the text has a, a different vision. So if, if, if wickedness or corruption is this illusion that seems to have significance to it, but that when all is said and done, it's revealed to be nothing, there's another picture here uh, of a different way of being, and it's described like this, that there is a person like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The, rather than um, pulling other people into your orbit only for their destruction, and then to have your own life revealed to have been nothing, there's another way of being, which is to be like a tree planted by water. By the way, written by people and for people who live in an arid climate, where unlike the Midwest, where pretty much everything is green everywhere, right? Uh, this is a pretty dry place in the world where to see green is to know that there is rare and precious water somewhere there below the surface, right? So th this text says that there's another image of life, one deeply rooted in, in good and nourishing water, 
uh, a life that when others pass by, they may not get sucked into your orbit, but they might be sheltered under the canopy of your life. They might find shade there on a hot day. There might be fruit coming from this life. And what's the purpose of fruit? It's nourishing and it perpetuates life, right? I mean, what's a fruit but some sugar wrapped around a seed, right? And the sugar might attract animals who uh, consume that and they take that seed elsewhere where it gets planted to create more life and more shade and more fruit or the sugar around the seed itself might sustain the seed so that it can grow up on its own and become its own new thing. This is a very different vision of life. That, that you're not getting pulled into the orbit of the corrupt and the cynics, and that you're not yourself one of the corrupt or the cynical who pulls others into your orbit only for their own destruction, but that your life is generative and that it gives life to others. And this writer has an observation about what kind of person ends up with that kind of life, with that good kind of life. Because this writer says that this kind of person who is not getting pulled into the orbit of the wicked is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Who delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, we got another trigger word here, right? Which is law. And I don't know how you feel about the word law. I don't know how you've been taught about the word, especially in theology or in the Bible. I think a lot of us were taught that the law is the bad news. The law is... Um, this place in the text where you find out that God apparently has very, 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 very particular preferences about how you live every little detail of your life. And those preferences seem impossible to satisfy. And so this crushing burden comes upon people. And the law is just bad news about the completely unsatisfiable demands of God. I, a lot of us have grown up in theological systems that taught that. A lot of us have read the text in that way. And here's the problem. I don't have time today to unpack that and dismantle that. So I'm just asking you to go with me for now and you can disagree with me. We can talk about it later. But let me just tell you, please take my word for it that we have a mountain of evidence that suggests that at least for the person who would have written this psalm and for the first people who would have heard this psalm, they did not experience the law as this crushing burden. They experienced it as a gift and as joy. Uh, they experienced it as God having liberated them from their slavery in Egypt, now gives them a word, speaks a word to them about how they can be in the world and with God. Because not only has God liberated them, but God is with them. And to live uh, in integrity with the presence of God in their midst is to be invited into this way of life, in this way of actually being in the world. And now, when we hear the word law, we're, we're not just working with the law that this writer would have worked with. We, we're a Jesus community. And what's interesting is that Matthew's gospel, for example, has a way of telling us that when Jesus teaches, this is a new law that we're being given. Not some heavy burden that's meant to crush us, but a gift that's meant to invite us into different possibilities. Because just like Moses leads the people out of Egypt and then finds himself on the mountain receiving the law at Sinai, Jesus in Matthew is said that he will liberate the people from their sins, which is a deeper kind of slavery that we are all wrestling with. And then we see Jesus coming up out of the Jordan River and then standing on the mountain, which is where Matthew 5, six and seven give us the sermon on the mount and Ma matthew is not giving us the this scene on a mount uh, because he cares so much about topography he's giving us the scene on a mount because he wants us to hear jesus as the new giver of the new law for new people who've been liberated from a new kind of slavery that we all need rescued from and so we have matthew 5 6 and 7 as a as a as a gift as a new possibility for how to be and I think the application for this text is to say that people who want to be like that tree planted deeply, 
and giving shelter to others under its canopy are the kind of people who meditate on this law and who find their gravity, their centering space there rather than among corruption and cynicism. And so all of this is a long way of setting up our practice for the week ahead. So in our next round of gatherings on Thursday night and Sunday morning, we're going to uh, engage a practice that goes way back in time in three different ways. Uh, Lectio Divina is a, an old word for essentially sacred reading or reading with God or prayerful reading. And so we're going to offer in a kind of choose your own adventure practice space in our gatherings. One of the opportunities will be a Lectio Divina. And we'll create a meditative space with some prompts and some guidance to prayerfully and reflectively read some of the words from Matthew 5, 6, and 7 so that we actually like enact and take advantage of what Psalm 1 is saying rather than just hear it and move on from it. So Electio Divina will be a, a sacred reflection on the text of uh, parts of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're also going to do a Visio Divina. Uh, if Lectio means text or words, then Visio, like vision, what you see, because a lot of us are more visual learners than textual learners. And, and there's this thing in Christian tradition that has taught us all along that God has revealed God's self, not just in the text, that God has revealed God's ways, not just in the text, but also in the natural world. And so alongside the option to do a Lectio Divina on the text, you'll have the option to do a Visio Divina on some images of the created world. And just to sit with those images and to listen to the spirit inside that might be speaking to you about the way that God likes to order things and the invitation that we hear inside of all that. So we'll have a Lectio Divina on the words and a Visio Divina on images. And we're going to have a Dirty Hands Divina, which is just a phrase that we came up with. It's not so much in the tradition, but we're going to carry the tradition forward into it. A meditation with your hands. Uh, we're going to have some potting stations with some terracotta and some soil and some seeds and give you a chance to, to, to do some praying with your hands and think about what it would be like to have a life deeply planted and what it would be like to have good things grow up in your life. And you'll be able to take that home with you and it'll be a sort of representation of our practice in the gatherings that you'll have long after the gatherings are done. So next week uh, in our gatherings, we've got the, the Lectio Divina, the Visio Divina, and the, the Dirty Hands Divina. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, an invitation for all of us, which is in the next week between now and those practice gatherings, to spend a little more time with Psalm 1 and simply to meditate on the trajectories of our lives. Is there anywhere in your life where perhaps you were headed in a certain direction, maybe that direction was good, but then you, you fell prey to the gravity of something corrupt or cynical? And perhaps you've gone from walking to standing to sitting to being stuck. And the meditation isn't meant to shame us or so that we beat ourselves up. It's just an invitation to reflect on that. And perhaps from that reflection, find a fresh desire for a different kind of gravity that we find not in that which is corrupt or cynical, but in, in these words which speak life to us from the giver of our existence. Uh, as we hear God speaking in that new law from Jesus or in the ordering of the world or as we get our hands dirty. Let me read Psalm 1 to you one more time as a benediction and as an invitation into what we have ahead of us next week. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. 
Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So may we be vigilant about the trajectories of our lives. May we see where we have gone from moving to standing to sitting to being stuck, attached to the gravity of, of something corrupt or cynical. May, may we long for and hope for lives that are like deeply rooted trees, nurtured on good water, sheltering others in the canopy of our branches and spreading good fruit. And may grace and peace be with you.